So, I hope things are settling for you. Most of our practice, um, particularly when you're coming from lay life, is to find find a proper center. <clears throat> find a center in yourself uh, to return within the body and to have the chitta, your awareness, centered steadily within your body uh, and then making it comfortable. This, all this, everything that does this, we call a samatha, settling, making more comfortable, making more stable, getting the mind to be able to, to rest, find a place to rest. Now, you can't um, start concentrating uh, until the mind has found a place to rest. Mm. In fact, you don't need to concentrate, you need to cultivate, make a proper place. Like you prepare the nest, you prepare the place properly, the mind will sit within it. So a lot of our practice is just preparing, creating a place and encouraging the citta to settle within the body. This itself is already major practice because it's not just its own um, issues which it has to deal with but also the issues of living uh, living in the world. Uh, So the we experience a lot of steady stress and shock, which uh, makes gives us no comfortable place to sit. Now, for example, you know, I mean, sometimes you have accidents, physical accidents, or diseases, or you break a leg, or you have a sickness. This creates a shock in the body and uh, part of our practice then is to just begin to heal the body internally. Now even when the limbs are well and the organs seem to be okay, still the sense of shock remains in the body's intelligence. We have to bear in mind the body has its own intelligence, its own awareness. It's often centered in the abdomen. So this is the awareness that tells us about balance. It tells us, it tells the body about balance. It also gives the body a cohesion. uh, Such that if you experience pain or stress in one part of your body, it flows through the entire body. So if you have pain in your foot, your whole body feels a sense of stress and discomfort. If you have a headache in your head, the whole body feels a sense of discomfort. This is just the way the body is. Even the cells, they make an experiment, they take a cell from the heart, two cells, from the heart, and they've done this, they put, take one cell into one room, and another cell into another room, so they may be five meters apart, two cells, and they give one cell a little electric shock, and the other cell jumps, <laughs> you know, it's five meters away, they still, they still know each other, you yeah. so there's no physical connection but there's an intelligence that the body has. That's just cellular intelligence. And this is really quite amazing, but when you consider it, when you realize that when you were first 
originated, there was only one cell, and that divided into two and four and six and eight and so forth. And how does, how does it know which one's going to be hair, which one's going to be teeth, and where, where to go? <laughs> it, it, it organizes itself, doesn't it? It knows where it is. Yeah. So the body is a lot of, lot of subtle intelligences that are operating, feeling, sensing. We don't even know it in our brains. We, we, can't, we can't track it, but it's happening. It, it arranges how we, how we sweat, how, what happens when the body heats up, mm-hmm. how we breathe, how the pulse rate changes, how the um, breathing changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so this quality of bodily intelligence makes everything feels everything. Everything in your body is aware of everything else. Now when there is shock, you know, then that affects the whole body. So when you hear a loud crash or a bang, everything jumps. And so then everything has to then relax. Now what can happen is when you get a severe shock, one part stays, it disconnects. With a sense of severe shock, you get a disconnection. Or severe pain, you get disconnection. It's like one part of the body breaks off. And then we've got to bring it back again. Which is the whole principle I've been talking about, breathing through the entire body. Sometimes when you're sick, it feels like your right side is bigger than your left side or too heavy. You feel if you feel balanced. If you don't feel balanced, you bring your energy from the strong side to the weak side and back again. You keep sweeping through, breathing through. If you find one part of your body has too much energy, it's tense, and you breathe from the tense area down. Yeah. You, you open, you breathe around, and always with the quality of goodwill. So we're starting to heal the bodies in, in, in many ways mm. to make it a suitable place. Now, one of the forms of um, stress and shock that people experience is the everyday one of. of um, working, you know, and being in a city. And you have this, what they call, red light, green light. Red light means stop. Green light means go. This is kind of push and then the slam. Push and slam. So this is happening a lot of the time. You have traffic lights and bells and horns and there's this kind of constant shock of push, push, stop, push, rush, push, stop, you know. So it's not so strong but because it goes on for many hours it has the effect the body starts to seize up, stiffen up. It loses its flexibility and the chitta leaves the body or it leaves most of the body, maybe just stays up here. The rest of the body is gone. This is what happens when it's very shock or stress, is the chitta starts to leave the body. So you have to really encourage it, welcome it to fill the entire body. And so this itself is samatha practice. Breathing down your arms, breathing into your fingers, breathing down your chest, into your organs, into your liver, just breathing through the diaphragm, into the belly, down the legs. You know, just, you know, this is the kind of work you do. It's like cleaning your house, setting it up. Bringing the bright intention into the, into the body, 
because the mind state affects the body. The state of mind, the mental attitude also has a profound effect on the body. Just as we recognize when we're very young, when we're very small, human babies, they need a lot of constant, warm care and attention from the mother. It's just to get over the shock of being born, <laughs> which is a very profound shock. So you need a lot, many years of that constant warmth just to be able to grow. If you don't get that, you don't, you don't grow. You can even die. Because you haven't actually been, in, the chitta hasn't been carefully, lovingly brought into the body. Build it up. So this is something we just cultivate as a standard practice. Mm-hmm. And breathing, of course, carries all the impressions of the mind and the body within it so it can spread the messages through the body. Samatha and uh, I'd emphasize cultivating that because until you have that sense of steadiness, comfortable steadiness, it's very difficult to really develop any insight. So you know, samatha and the vipassana is the, is the kind of understanding that can develop when the citta is steadily established. Samatha is the, kind, is the foundation that allows the mind to cultivate insight. And insight really hinges around being able to allow things to arise and things to pass smoothly, evenly, without being disturbed. Allowing things to arise and allowing things to pass, remaining steady. So the simplest form is, for example, the breathing. Breathing in, finish, and breathing out. Noticing the beginning of the in-breath, the end of the in-breath, the pause, the end of the out-breath, there's the finish of that, ending, new beginning. Now sometimes even this can be quite difficult because at the end of the, in, of the out-breath, the mind drifts off. As the breath is going out, the mind leaves it, goes away. So often it's, when we're cultivating, it's towards the end of the, in, the out-breath is when you really try to sustain your awareness right through to the end. And if you can steady it so that there's even a pause between the out-breath and the in-breath, Then you notice the beginning of the in-breath followed all the way through the end of the inhalation. Then the beginning of the out-breath. So this is the beginning. This can some, this, even this can be difficult because perhaps the mind has a little bit of the breath in the middle and then drifts off. So really following it, the track of the breathing and the energy, holding it in your body. When you're walking, just that sense of, first of all, walking, come to, the foot goes down, okay, the next movement, completed, the next movement, so you feel the sense of movement, completed, completed. Now that often what will happen with the mind is even as you're finishing one movement, you're ready for the next. Yeah. 
So normal person, when they're walking, their mind is already at the door before they've got up. They're already out there, you know? The jitter's already gone out. <laughs> it's in the kitchen. It's in the car. <laughs> the body runs behind it. <laughs> so what's it like when you do walking? You don't have to do it, do it, do it slow, but not really abnormal, just slow so that when you put your foot down, it's like that's the last step. And then the other leg comes up. Sense of really completing and feeling the end, the beginning, the movement, the end. So you're starting to realize there is a rhythm in life. There's a beginning, an ending, and there's these moments when things just rest. And then beginning, ending, beginning, ending, beginning. So it's just a, rather than just it's like beginning, ending. So you, you can do this with your body. And often we, we just cultivate this because this is the easy place. Yeah? And then bringing your mind into that so that you're not preparing for the next moment. When you breathe out, it's like the last breath. There may not be another one. So it really, you're not trying to get to the next moment. You're not trying to develop something or build something up. You're letting it end, finished. And you let it begin. Yeah. So you don't start, you don't make it begin, you allow it to begin. Allowing it to rise and pass. This is a natural rhythm. This is real time. Yeah. Real time, body time. And so, this is both calming and truthful. When we live like this, we start to become more balanced. And you can cultivate this. Um, it's very important that you do. So another way in which you can cultivate this with your, just in terms of the mind, is try to get to the end of the day, when the end of the day, let it end. Just finish your business, make a reasonable arrangement for tomorrow is whatever it is, okay, and then the last 10 minutes, half an hour, ending. Really end, 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 stop. Just, so this is where we use mindfulness of death, maranusati. As if at the end of the day, you're preparing to die. Don't carry anything. Get ready to leave. Whatever's been wrong or bad, Now's the time to forgive it. Mm. Now's the time to feel gratitude for what has been good. Don't hold on to it. Just as if tomorrow your house goes, <laughs> your partner goes, but today it's been good, so thank you. <laughs> tomorrow you know, your eyes go. So tonight, thank you. Tomorrow, my body goes. So tonight, thank you. So this, this is wise use of death. 
because we will die. This body does die. So why don't we practice it and make use of it so that the end of the day is clean, finished. And at the end of the day, all those details and what's important because what's important that's what stays with your chitta that's what sends it on to the next birth so it's really important to know what's important At the end of the day, you rest in what's important. And if you prepare yourself like this, then when the death does come, you're ready. And you stay with what's important, and that's going to that's take you on. Gratitude is important. Love is important. Letting go is important. What's important? You find out. Because it's important that you know what's important. (laughs) At the end of the day, you let everything finish and you stay with that. This means in the morning when you wake up, that's what comes up. So this way you're able through this process of healing and cleaning and then really releasing the past I know it doesn't happen like that but over time you can get better at releasing the pain of the past the difficulty of the past and then each time you can do that every new beginning is a little brighter a little fresher a little clearer a little lighter, not carrying so much weight. If we can do this at the end of every day and the beginning of every day, and if you can do it at the end of every breath and the beginning of every breath. So when the Buddha talked about mindfulness of death, and he asked the the monks, how often do you cultivate mindfulness of death? And one said, well, I, I, every day, I think, you know, at the end of every day, I recollect death. The second one said, well, you know, having eaten one meal, you know, I, I recollect death as if my life lasts just for the length of the times it takes to eat a meal. Another one said, well, I do it just as if my life is just as long as it takes to eat one mouthful of food. And then one said, I cultivate it as if my life is just one breath. And the Buddha said, this is the best. One breath. Just one breath. And then it's like, this is, this is the best. Now we can't always get the best, but that's what we're looking for. Aiming that way. And just, but what does it take to do that? It means all those, what I'm going to be, what I am, how long it's going to take, why do I have to do this, Where am I going? What kind of person am I? Finished. (laughs) You know, just all that mental preoccupation. Breathe. So every time you're emptying. And this is really important to remember because emptying is the last thing you're going to learn from this world. Mostly it's about filling up, isn't it? Buy something, get something, add something, fill your head up with more news, information, gossip, 
<laughs> fill your house up with another pair of this or that or the other, you know. Fill the time up. Make sure there's plenty of things. Yeah. And, uh, but then the cultivator says, the most important thing is nothing. <laughs> Just <laughs> open, emptying. Because this is what allows health. Mental health, emotional health, and physical health. The health is on all levels. Physical, emotional, psychological. This is really important, isn't it? And so we heat constantly healing ourselves or allowing ourselves to be healed by nature. Remember, we can't create health. Nature creates it when we live in accordance with nature. Nature will give us it to us. And the nature of things is arising and ending. So when we cultivate that, this is called insight into truth, the truth of nature. It's nothing that, in some ways, it's very ordinary. It's like when you, you know, leave the room at the end of the day. You leave it like you're not coming back. You put your cushion in place, you tidy up, as if you're never going to be here again. You leave it. You come back in like the first time you set your place up. At the end of the day, you clean it, finished, gone. Forget it. When you leave your room, you put it tidy, just like you're leaving it. You leave it. You know, this, is with, this, this is cultivator. And you do, if you cultivate this as a, as a way of life, then all the time you're training your mind in insight. Yeah. So insight is not just some kind of very special, it's, it's a way of living. Yeah. It, and it becomes possible when you're centered, when you have a center, and you're comfortable and you're settled, you start to operate like this, because it's natural. It's orderly. Now the big, um, when we cultivate or recognize these four frames of reference, the four satipatthana, now we're contemplating the arising and passing in the body, the movement of the body. And consider also all these four they all, the three sit inside the first one. The first one is creating the place. And the other three sit within that. So the second one is feeling. Yeah. Bodily feeling. This is a big challenge, isn't it? Can you sit and a body feeling comes and you stay in your center and you let the body feeling run through and you don't contract around it you stay open letting it part letting it move through you painful feeling pleasant feeling arising feeling passing feeling now if we stay open to that now when the mind chitter contracts around it what occurs is I feel I feel then it sticks when it sticks then we get struggle then we get disappointment then we get ill will then we get restlessness then we get distraction, uh, wanting something. Yeah. So around this sticking, clinging, the hindrances start to arise. 
But it's not easy, is it? Just to allow feeling to pass. This is why we have to establish that center, first of all. And the uh, mental feeling, perhaps even more difficult. Grief, fear, yeah. The feelings that come, feeling that comes, the shock of mental feeling. And feeling, mental feeling comes associated with mind states. Things like the mind affected by guilt, fear, worry, sorrow, difficult. So the chitta contracts around that, then I feel miserable. I feel unhappy. What can I do to stop feeling unhappy? This isn't going to work. Insight means you allow it to come and you breathe through that. You keep your breathing moving through that. And, and this is what allows the state, keeps it open. The chitta stays open because your chitta, when it trusts the breathing, it stays open to that and the feeling can move through. The mental feeling can move through. It's not always comfortable. We can feel very, oh, sad. Uh, but it passes. In the passing of it, there is the resolution and peace and understanding occurs. With mental states, very often they are obscured by distracting thoughts. So, as we're preparing ourselves, we use the cultivation of investigation and deep attention. As I mentioned it before, I'll say it again. When we have a lot of thoughts about people or ourselves or the future or the past or life or this or that or the other, you get this whole a story. You remember something that happened yesterday and this story comes up. Or you have a worry about somebody and you think, oh, what's it going to happen to him? How is he going to be? Why should he be this way? That It's quite long. So then you review that with proper attention. Say, what is the one word for all of that? What's happening? And you say, oh, this is worry. This is irritation. This is fear. This is whatever it is. So then we, that, then we know. Then we've found the mind state underneath all this clothing, padding of discursive thought. And then now you have that mind state breathing through yeah, till you come to the feeling. This may take a while. I remember certainly, you know, in my own experience, I may have uh, a story in my mind. You know, I've had this sometimes for many years. Oh, thinking uh, somebody I felt hasn't treated me well, hasn't treated me properly, has been disrespectful or rude. I feel I've been used. This person has done this, that and the other. And this story still runs about something somebody did to me. 
then I think, oh, forget it. It doesn't matter. That was five years ago. It doesn't matter. Okay. Then it comes back again. <laughs> uh, no, it doesn't matter. It's finished. Gone. doesn't matter. It comes back again. Think, okay. Um, well, he probably had a bad day and he really not his fault. You know, I, I forgive you. Finish. I forgive you. It's enough. Finished. You know, no problem. Comes back. <laughs> Look, I've forgiven you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I tried to think of it again. I still don't. Doesn't. Still, the feeling is mm, feeling. Still feeling annoyed, irritated, hurt. And you think, okay. And you try to be reasonable. Well, you know. Sometimes people don't know what they're doing. It's not his fault. You know, everybody has their problems. It's his karma, you know, and so forth and so forth. It's his karma and this and You still feel. <laughs> so you do all this sort of nice thinking. <laughs> and uh, you try to forget about it, you yeah. And they think, oh, I'm, I'm not a very nice person, you know, I'm still carrying this ill will. After all, it's no big thing. Why am I such a nasty, unkind person? So you start to feel bad because you can't forgive people. No, doesn't do it either. <laughs> so you blame yourself, you blame other people. Yeah. I think one time I just kind of look. What actually happens here now? Not five years ago. What happens now? Pain. Feel the pain. Gone. (laughs) The arrow still stuck in the heart. Yeah. So we have to go from the story, the mind state, back to the feeling. And the feeling is very simple. Pain. It doesn't matter whether it's whose fault it is. You know, like the Buddha said, if somebody shoots an arrow into you, there's no time to say, who shot that? Why did they shoot it? Where did it come from? You just take the arrow out. <laughs> There's no point deciding whose fault it was or right or wrong or this or the other. You just take the arrow out. Mm. Then, when that's finished, then you can, then you can do forgiving. Yeah. And then you recognize, wow, Everybody does this to everybody else. We all hurt each other. We don't want to, really, but we do. We hurt each other. So then you get a sense of whose fault is it? It's everybody's fault. And then you, this is what we call compassion. Yeah. It's compassion. We're all half blind. We're all half blind and half drunk. We don't really... Chitta is not pure. It doesn't know. So we say something. We didn't mean it, but it hurt somebody. Or we forgot to say something. We didn't say something we, sh- we could have said that would have been helpful. Somebody felt l- left, abandoned, because we didn't say, oh, I can help you. You know? And they thought, you yeah. know? It's things like this. And we do it to our parents, and we do it to our children, and we do it to our friends, and we do it to people we work with. We don't want to, but we do. 
So when we really understand this, we recognize you know, we're always going to have arrows sticking in us. <laughs> and you begin to learn more quickly how to take it out, go to the feeling. When you begin to be able to do that, allow the feeling to pass, what goes with it, which is very important, is I am also passes. And the person who hurt me also disappears. And the person who was hurt disappears. There's just the chitta and the feeling. When the chitta releases the feeling, there's nobody there. There's just emptiness, openness, and release. This is really important. The Buddha, in one of his teachings, said everything, all dhammas, in other words, everything you experience, it converges on feeling. That is, everything that comes to you comes through that door called feeling. If you don't feel it, you haven't, it hasn't happened to you. <laughs> it's so it's, when something happens to the chitta, when it feels. Sometimes it feels you know, a little bit pleasant, nothing much. A little bit unpleasant, nothing much. Yeah. But everything that comes to you comes feeling. You see someone and you feel, oh, slightly pleasant. It's nice to have friends. It's not ecstatic, but it's agreeable. Uh, Are you saying goodbye? Bye. A little bit unpleasant. Not terrible, but, oh, bye. A little bit unpleasant. Everything that happens has a feeling with it. The chitta has only very few experiences. What it receives is perception and feeling, nothing else. It doesn't see, it doesn't hear, it doesn't taste, it doesn't touch. It receives impressions like friendly, um, hostile, um, safe, uh, warm, uh, desirable, looks nice. Those are perceptions. It receives those and they have a feeling. Pleasant feeling, unpleasant feeling. Right? And it changes. Now you may see a dog and for you, perception dog, pleasant feeling. Another person sees a dog, perception, dog, unpleasant feeling. <laughs> yeah. When does a dog become a wolf? <laughs> it goes from pleasant feeling to unpleasant feeling. <laughs> Angry dog, unpleasant feeling. Happy dog, pleasant feeling. You know? So the feeling changes, but everything comes through feeling. Yeah. And it's always shifting and changing. So everything is felt. The chitta only experiences perception and feeling. And as it does so, it, it responds. The response, sankhara, which means there's some movement of agreeing, oh, that's nice, or resisting, or agitation, or wanting more. Some kind of movement. It shakes a little bit. Right. That, that's what happens, yeah? Now, when it's that shaking, when it's shaking with uncertainty, 
then we get to experience what are called hindrances. So if you don't like this, ill will. Looks attractive. Ah. Reaching out. Sense desire. These very primary forms. Uncertain. Doubt. Agitation. Restlessness. Disappearing altogether. Sleep. Those are the kind of reactions that occur. These are the unwise. But when the chitta can stay open, perception is a perception. Feeling is a feeling. It's not a person. I'm not experiencing a person. I'm experiencing an impression, friendly, unfriendly, don't know, just uh uh-huh. Perception, feeling. Allow it to arise. Stay in your center. Allow it to pass. When it passes, then you get what are called enlightenment factors. You're able to investigate. Your energy is collected. You experience a sense of happiness. Your mind unifies. So simply speaking, a lot of our practice is just about allowing feeling, mental states, feelings, perceptions to arise and to pass. This is without moving, without leaving your center. This is, of course, easy to say, more difficult to do, because the jitter's response is, I feel, I am here, and then it sticks. Tries to stop the feeling, worries about the feeling, gets excited about the feeling, gets excited about the perception, feels guilty about the perception. (laughs) You know, I should be more trusting or loving. It gets gets agitated and it creates complexities around perceptions and feelings. So, but with insight, cultivation, you allow the perception, whatever it is, unpleasant perception, ugly, distasteful, unfriendly, uh allow it to arise, stay present, it will pass. And this is um, profound. This is, this is Buddha practice. This is awakening practice. This is what empties the world of its solidity. We see the world as just passing shadows. Passing shadows. Play, play of light. And you just, uh nothing solid. But when I am happens, things get very solid. (laughs) Now, the chitta will always do that. Cling, resist. It will always do that if it not strong, if it's not centered, it has to do that. It has to do that. It has to hold, it has to fight, it has to resist. We can't stop it. You know, it would be nice if we could, but we can't until the chitta has found that center and knows above all to stay there. Ajahn Chah used to say, you know, you know what Dhamma practice is like? He says it's knowing that you're supposed to let go and 90% of the time you can't do it. (laughs) 90% of the time you can't do it. 
But you know, you know, it's like that. This means normal. <laughs> Everybody's normal. But it also means more practice is necessary. <laughs> and uh, before you can practice that ability to stay centered and allow things to pass, you have to find a center, settle in the center, become happy and strong in the center. Then quite naturally, when you have a center, when the, your inner king is on the throne, you can let it pass. You're all right. You don't need to bother with that. <laughs> You're at home, you know. That's why it's, it's a special time, this retreat time. Make every opportunity to establish these foundations. And this, what we do now, if we just even just really keep understanding where the weakness is, where the shock, the pain, the broken pieces are, we start to heal and get that center stronger and more comfortable. When the jitta knows that fully, it won't forget. This will stay with you. It will stay with you. So then you'll feel yourself more and more able to allow your life to flow through and you begin to understand the freedom and the peace of the Buddha. So let's have some time for practice this morning. Practicing. And uh, so at this time feel free to uh, stand or walk, change your position. Just do what you need to do to uh, feel comfortable and keep working on establishing your center. <laughs>